Welcome to the IoT Security Podcast, powered by Phosphorus Cybersecurity, your source for securing the extended Internet of Things. Join the conversation with your hosts, Brian Contos and John Vecchi. Well, hello, everybody. You're listening to the IoT Security Podcast live on Phosphorus Radio. I'm John Vecchi. And I'm Brian Contos. And we've got an amazing guest today, Patrick Benoit. Welcome to the show, Patrick. Welcome, Patrick. Hey, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So we're real excited to uh, to get down into our questions. But before we start, Patrick, could you give our listeners a little bit of background about you, how you came up in cyber and what it is that you do today? Yeah. So, I mean, we'll start with today. Today, I'm the global CISO at Brinks. Uh, and that's uh, Brinks Guns, Guards and Trucks and Cash, not not home security. That got spun off back in 2012. Um, so, uh, prior to that, I, I, I did some work with some other, uh, brands like CBRE and Experian and Dell and, and so forth. And, but I, you know, unusually I came up through the cyber ranks a little bit differently. I'd been in technology doing software development, uh, project management, infrastructure management, network security, you know, network, everything the, from mm-hmm. the early nineties, you know, early, early eighties up to now. And, uh, in 2015, I looked up and decided that uh, the the uh, the marketplace for CIO type and for VPs in in IT was very very saturated, and so I needed to be different. And so mm-hmm. I said, "Well, look, I've owned security for years and years and years. Uh, maybe I should actually focus on security." And so I did. Uh, you know, did my CISSP and then just uh, jumped into the community, jumped into the the process and uh, took you know numerous certifications afterwards, and here we are seven years later, and I'm CISO at Brinks. So. Oh, that's wow. awesome! What what's it like being the CISO for a a security company like Brinks <laughs> compared to maybe some of the other companies that you've been with? Well, the thing that's super interesting about Brinks is 165 year old company, and yeah. so mm-hmm. you know security started out as you know steel stagecoach kind of things, you know, and ar- that was mm-hmm. the armored car of, of the day. Um, it, it's, it's a little bit different, um, uh, than what people would think because they are a security company, but remember the vast majority of their security up to this point is it's physical mm-hmm. and it, it also has a very different, uh, view than what even most cybersecurity folks, if they do have a CSO type role, they're focused on physical for, uh, a facility, a building, mm-hmm. and that's kind of it. Um, they don't have to teach and uh, train guards. They don't have to, you know, train uh, uh, drivers with respect to armored car and things like that. So that is still a very separate thing because it is so unique and different. Um, mm-hmm. That means that my role in information security is not that much different than any other company, any financial institution that's going to have that type of data that we have to deal with. Got it. Well, you know, you mentioned you kind of got started in the in the early '90s. Uh, that works pretty well because we're going to be talking about XIoT. And Brian and I always say when we ever when we talk about this uh, and the state of uh, XIoT, and it feels like we're back in the '90s from a security perspective. So you'll be right at home, I think, with this discussion there. Patrick. It could could very well be, and I, I promise not to remove any vacuum tubes while we're chatting. <laughs> Perfect. How about your team and like 
what are some of your, I mean, obviously we talk a lot about what we call XIOT, Patrick, and that includes, you know, it's the expanded internet of things, which is all the IOT and the OT and the IOMT, if you have medical and industrial IOT and all those things, right? But tell us a little bit about, you know, your team, what's it like, your priorities, all the things that you're kind of focusing on today relative to, you know, this crazy threat landscape that just seems to, you know, change almost by the minute around here. Yeah. I mean, to me, team dynamics is, it, for me, is the same, regardless of whether it's this current team or any other team that I've had. The vast majority of the time, um, what I have found is that I'm walking into scenarios where the team has maybe had uh, more of a, a old school kind of command and control approach to things over the years. You know, uh, CISO says, do something, somebody goes and does it. And, and mm-hmm. you know, they come back and say, we can't do it because of this. And CISO clears the roadblock and they go do it. Very command and control oriented. And and that's, I just don't buy into that except in emergency situations. You know, if, if the house is on fire, I don't need to have a discussion about how we do it. We just need to get it done. That's command and control. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I ascribe more towards uh, uh, Stephen M. R. Covey's idea of trust and inspire. And so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, my focus always with a team is is building this uh, trust, and the trust has to come uh, be come from both both directions. I have to trust them, and I have to exhibit to them that I have a trust in them. But then they have to trust me, and I have to I have to give them a reason for me to be trustworthy. Um, and when you look at trust, you look at um, both the character or the intent of the person, how the person deals with you, and can you trust, can you understand and trust their character and what they're doing. But then also trust is built on the flip side, which is their ability. So the example that's used, uh, that uh, Mr. Covey uses is this idea that if I, if I needed surgery, you know, John, I might trust you implicitly. I might think you have the greatest character that you are absolutely 100% honest, you have the highest integrity, and that's wonderful. I trust you implicitly. However, if I'm asking you to do surgery on me, you don't have that ability. So I can't trust you. So it takes mm-hmm. both. It takes the character side and it takes the ability side. And you got to. So when you're building that trust relationship, you have to focus on both of those. The team has to understand that I'm going to take care of them as, as much as I can, you know, we have to get the mission done first. That's, you know, mm-hmm. coming from the military, it's mission, mission first, you know, not at the expense of people, but keeping people in mind. And then the other side is I have to prove to them that I have the ability to help them make decisions and help set direction and strategy and guidance and things like that. And so you put those two things together. And to me, you have to, you have to build that team trust first. And by doing that, they're going to hopefully be inspired to want to accomplish what you set in front of them from a strategic point of view, which you built, keeping in mind what the company's strategy is. And so that's the way I approach team dynamic. Yeah. No, I, that, that, that's a great framework that you're using. And I'm, I'm wondering, as you're going through that, does that same approach apply to your peers on the executive team, as well as your board and other senior stakeholders? It, it does for the way I deal with them. But remember, you've got two people in the relationship. And so it's, it's kind of the hearing and listening difference there. So, you know, hopefully they're attuned to that idea. And if I show them that I'm trustworthy and then 
hopefully they are trustworthy. And so we can build that trust. And then, then they let you have enough autonomy that you can, you can uh, then move on to this push for the strategic success. But it depends. It, it, it takes two in that relationship. And so, you know, sometimes you have to mentor up, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, do you find, Patrick, that, you know, one of the two, the other side of that coin is the skill set. Obviously, today, there's so many types of technologies. There's so many things you have to go do. And, and it, this, the skills gap, obviously, we hear a lot about that. Is that a challenge? And what do you do when, you know, you look at your team and they have tremendous skills, but most across all of them might not have a specific skill in something you yep. kind of need today. How do you deal with that? Well, yeah, I mean, you just kind of opened the can of worms of my most recent soapbox that I've been preaching to, which is this idea that I am, frankly, I'm, I'm, I'm a little over hearing about the talent gap over and over and over again. And here's why. Mm -hmm. We created it. And when I say we, I mean, we all collectively created it. We, we started down this path 10 years ago, however many years ago, and said, oh, got to have best in breed. Everything's got to be best in breed. And then we started mm -hmm. slicing up functionality into smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller pieces and specialty areas for best in breed. Some things still make sense to be specialty areas, but mm -hmm. not every little thing. So what happened was we had thousands of startups create 1% solutions. And then they went and hired all of our talent at higher than market rate because they needed to train them on their 1% solution. And so now when those people are trying to come back into the marketplace for a company that's say below $10 billion, I, I can't hire, you know, 21% solution people. I, I need people that are, you know, 50 or 80% solutions that they can work mm -hmm. across all the tools that I have. And yep. so we created our own situation. We, and then all the prices are driven up. I, I can't afford the same kind of prices that a vendor can afford in most cases because they have a different agenda, a different focal point. So is there a skill gap? Yeah, there's prob we could probably always use more people, but I think we're focused on the wrong thing. Instead of focusing on how do we get the people, we let's focus on how do we train, teach, grow, and develop the people we have and not lose them. Mm -hmm. Because in the end, people don't leave companies, they leave leaders. So how do we keep them? always easier to keep somebody, cheaper to keep somebody, train them, develop them, grow them, promote them, than it is to go find a new resource. That's a, that's a great point. I like that point about they leave leaders and that, that's mm -hmm. so true. And you know, the, the analogy that popped into my mind as you were talking about how we've, we've, we keep on segmenting and segmenting and specializing and specializing in this space. Like when you go to a mechanic these days, it used to be if you had a set of standard and metric wrenches, you were kind of good to go. But now yeah. every car manufacturer has specialized tools and processes and training that you need to do that. And it's just, it's just absolutely crazy. And it's so specialized and it's so hard to find, uh, find these individuals. And it depends I, I see that what the market it, yeah. will bear. And it also depends. Everything is historically cyclical. You know, the pendulum swings mm -hmm. both ways. And we need to figure out what the balance point is. But right now, what I see is that some of the larger vendors are swinging the pendulum closer to the center again, moving more towards integrated platforms. So instead mm -hmm. of having 20 products that are bolted together in some way, shape, or form, you maybe have 
one integrated platform that does 80% of everything you need to do. And then you just have some products to fill in the gaps where you don't have functionality. And we're Mm -hmm. moving back that direction. Now, unfortunately, a lot of big companies tend to be so focused on on, uh, you know, uh, driving market and profitability and such like that, that I think eventually that's going to swing too far to that side again. And we're going to have mm-hmm. integrated platforms that try to be everything to everybody, which is not yeah. the answer either. So yeah. somewhere in the middle there, and, and we're moving in, moving in that direction. We have big companies putting billions of dollars into integrated security suites now. Um, he, he, there's no, I won't say no, very few companies, unless they're Fortune 100 or so, can spend the money in, in the neighborhood of billions for, for R&D for their security. And if, if these big security companies or big IT companies are doing that, um, we need to hope that they bring it to the right place in the balance. Yeah. And, and you're right from a vendor's perspective, that constant build versus buy versus partner and all the complexities that n- n- there, there isn't one of those that's a panacea. And you're absolutely right. It just keeps on uh, reinventing itself. I'm wondering from a, let's kind of look at it from a threat perspective. Uh, again, being someone like yourself that's just been in the industry for uh, quite some time, what are some of the key threats that you're concerned with and you and your team are sort of tasked with addressing these days? Yeah. At, at the risk of oversimplifying, breaches only happen for two reasons. Somebody did something they weren't supposed to do or somebody didn't do something they were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's the only two reasons. So. There's ultimately, in my mind, always some human component to a, a breach. And, and mm-hmm. so, you know, did somebody not patch? Did somebody make a decision that we weren't going to patch? Did somebody click on something? Did somebody, you know, uh, leave a port open? Did somebody not change a configuration uh, item that should have been changed? Uh, did somebody tell somebody information about our environment that they shouldn't have? So I, I still am always focused on how do we, you know, build this, this at, again, at the risk of using the overused words, zero trust kind of scenario. How do we kind of mm-hmm. build this philosophy of zero trust in, meaning that I'm not going to let anybody have access to what I'm doing unless I can prove who it really is. But then I'm also mm-hmm. going to have the capability to quickly isolate because the, the, the hack is inevitable. The exploit is inevitable somewhere, some way, some shape, some form. So how do I mm-hmm. quickly isolate? So if you focus on those kind of things, and then how do I recover? Obviously, because of the ransomware scenario, that's a different level of recovery, even though the attack is, you know, the, the exploit's the same as, as a, a number of other exploits, but the recovery is very different. So I focus on those things, always keeping in mind that if I find something find a place where if I can identify where that person is doing something they shouldn't or didn't do something they should have, then I probably have reduced risk. Yeah. I love that simplified approach. And and it's a perfect time to kind of take that, Patrick, and kind of take that lens and that approach and shine it on this whole attack surface we call XIoT. All these smart devices, they don't have a keyboard, right? They're purpose built. They're basically these, you know, like Brian and I say, we, many people see the types of devices we talk about, but we see a Linux server, right? Right. Can't put endpoint, you can't put Tanium or CrowdStrike and throw them on there and 
hard to manage them like traditional IT assets. So when you think of those and apply that very powerful yet simple kind of clear approach, how do you think about that for those types of devices? Well, and, and like any time that you bring a third party into the picture, uh, whether it be product or service, there's a dependency on the third party as well. So mm -hmm. you have to split between what are we doing and what are they doing, so to speak. And, um, you know, what has up until the recent years been most uh, terrifying with respect to IoT for me, whether it be IoT, OT, whatever, is that there was not very much focus on security at the manufacturer level. Mm -hmm. And so it, you almost had to find a way to, to bolt on some kind of control that mitigates outside of the device itself. Um, and I think we're starting to see more of the manufacturers because they know they're playing in a security space more and more. They're starting to at least take it a little more seriously. I think we still need some standardization to ensure that they're, they're doing the right things with security. And then once you have that, it becomes a matter of uh, the old, the old whack-a-mole patching game. You know, are you, are you patching everything or do you have the most current available out there? And are they updating and staying ahead of that security curve? And that's the thing that even though it sounds the same as what we do with other endpoints, it's very different because we don't have mm -hmm. the same touch control over those endpoints. Um, and oftentimes right. they're so far out on the, on, on the end of the, 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 the uh, arm here that you, 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 you don't see them, but every once in a while when something goes wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, you know, when John and I first started getting involved with XIOT and sort of looking at how do you manage credentials and how do you update firmware and how do you harden or manage certs? And there's all these pieces that we were thinking about. Uh, one of the ones I think we just took for granted was just the discovery process, actually determining where are all these assets within my environment. And organizations have a pretty hard time today in almost every case trying to track devices or cloud applications or on-prem apps or identities and all these other asset types, let alone XIoT. Um, what, what do you think organizations can do to kind of get their arms around that? Because it seems like we're still missing that foundational component, which is kind of know what you've got, know what yep. you've got, and then you can kind of take that next step. Which mm -hmm. is, is the 101 hygiene that we all overlook while we're chasing the shiny objects is that, you know, know what you got first. You can't secure what you don't mm -hmm. know. I think with IoT, it becomes interesting, um, especially because of the connect, the way it connects. The vast majority of endpoints, especially in an internal infrastructure, are going to connect through you know, twisted pair of wire. You're going to plug in a network cable. You do have, obviously, the access point connection for wireless. And, and, and mm -hmm. oftentimes, you know, that's pretty well secured, too, because ultimately that access point is wired into your network. With IoT, a lot of them may be um, wireless. And so if, if, if you, you know, segmented your network so that you can identify off of there, at least you can see stuff attaching and it's IP-based and everything. But with IoT, there's so many devices you could just USB into whatever you have. And you can't see that. If you don't see it as a network device necessarily. And that's where I think it becomes very, very difficult to find, track, and discover. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, look, uh, as we always say, these devices, uh, they speak their own language. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the simply put, you can't really find them unless you can go talk to them and talk to them in their kind of protocol and, and in a way that they expect to be communicated with, right? Uh, we talk a lot about some of the risks of trying to go out, use traditional IT solutions to find these things or go scan for them. And I, I call it waterboarding, right? They'll just slam these things over and, you know, start start uh, scanning, you know, thousands of ports and protocols. They don't like that many of these devices and uh, will just fall over. But, and that's difficult, right? I mean, a lot of the technologies you have, traditional endpoint security, even the next-gen firewall is kind of blind to these, right? Right. And so it's really important to actually be able to go find these and talk to them and then be able to identify them, of course, but also do some risk assessment so you understand what's the state of these things. I mean, we see, again, we, we see well over 50% of all of these XIOT assets deployed with default credentials, right? Firmware six, seven years old has never been patched if it ever has been once. You know, certificates are expired, loads of insecure ports and protocols open, you know, I mean, they're, they're just a mess. Security um, cameras mining crypto. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. We've definitely well, seen it all. <laughs> well, and if you could do, you know, much like you would do with like software, security software, say, if you try to connect your phone to the network or your laptop, you try to plug it into the network, you had, there's tools to say, oh, well, hang on. We got to do a security check first. Let's go mm -hmm. run all of our security checks on. Oh, no, no, no. You're not a current version and you don't have yeah. this, you don't have this, you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. By and large, that's not available from a lot of sources for IoT, for the IoT environment. There are not a lot of people that can put something in and say, oh, I see what this is, and we're not going to let you talk until. And, mm -hmm. and we don't necessarily know what the until is, because it's not like you can generally push a piece of software down there to say, oh, well, we got to push this next-gen uh, virus scanner or whatever down to the device. It's We know what the device is, but there may not be anything we can do to secure it any further, depending on what type of device it is. Yeah. And do you think that business leaders, so not the CISOs or CIOs, folks like that, but uh, other other folks on the executive team, do you think that they they get some of the inherent risks of these types of devices and just the the sheer volume of yep. these devices and the velocity which they're added? I mean, we, we've heard from so many people that this is that it's that secret threat. It's the one that's been kind of encroaching on organizations yep. over the last few years. Then they wake up one day and they've got 50,000 Linux servers with no passwords. Right. Um, is, is that something that I, I know they've got millions of other things to consider, but are they starting to consider this now? And I mean, only as much as the, the CIO might be bringing that to their attention or the CISO might be bringing that to their attention. Otherwise, mm -hmm. I think generally until somebody calls out an issue with, with a technology, they would look at a technology like that as, as benign. You know, oh, mm -hmm. uh, it's just it's just a uh, 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 you know, it's just 20,000 printers. It's a, it's a, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a printer. All it does is print. What, you know, there's nothing you can do with that. Um, yeah. And we all know that that's not the case. But yeah, I think by and large, most executives, unless they've gotten to be security savvy or, you know, they built their own devices. And stuff. Like my house, when I had it in Plano, I had uh, like 50 devices in my network. So. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I knew what was there and I controlled it and I, you know, had private VPN for everything and I had segmented networks and I, but you know, that unless they do something like that as a hobby 
I, I think they look at, at, at IoT devices as just a benign plug-in. Yeah. It's almost like they're waiting for that that incident, that, you know, you know, front page kind of thing that's hurting, you know, yep. their partners or the competitors that where they're like, yikes, <laughs> we, we better address this. Right? I, I do think most executives, though, uh, that are non-technology executives are getting better at not only focusing on what they read in the Wall Street Journal or see in the American Airlines magazine. You know, yeah. that for a long time, you could literally read the airline magazines or look at the Wall Street Journal. Uh, and, and know, or Forbes, and, and know that this was going to be the next hot topic in the board meeting. Yeah. You're going to get an email. Yeah. You're gonna <laughs> because get the email CEO to just took topic. a trip. So, <laughs> my observation has been that's less and less happening. They're, they're, executives by and large are getting much more savvy. I think boards are getting much more savvy. <laughs> they're, they're still not experts in the area, but I, I don't think we have the same tendency to look at stuff as benign that we used to, except with IoT, because, mm -hmm. well, that's just something I use at home. Yeah. It's, you yeah. know, and, and that's why I think we're, we miss the opportunity when we do security awareness and we don't teach security awareness as it pertains to protecting you and your family personally, because that people bring what they do at home into the office. People generally do not bring what they do at the office to their home. So we're mm. teaching security from this the awareness from this business point of view. And as soon as they shut off at five o'clock and they go home, they're like, ah, I mean, whatever, no security. If we teach them 24 seven, how do you protect your family? How do you protect your kids and your personal environment, your house and things like that? When they walk into the office at eight in the morning, they're still in the mindset. They're, they're, they bring that with them to work. And so I think we've missed that opportunity over the years to teach security from a personal point of view to bring that mm -hmm. to the office. Yeah. And I'm wondering if these some of these new regulations, like these new SEC rules that came out and said regarding disclosure, like if you have an incident and it has material impact, you have 96 hours to report it and it has to be listed in your 8K. Now, right. there's a lot of devil in the details. Well, what's material, material. and when's the 96 hour clock start? But, <laughs> but is that is that sort of forcing a bit or encouraging, I should say, is that encouraging these executives to really say, hey, hey, let's go. Uh, let's go have lunch, CISO. Let's uh, let's really understand what's happening here before we have to fill out an 8K issue report. Yeah. I, and and uh, a lot of CISOs may be feeling a little bit off the hook, uh, you know, mm -hmm. in that respect. Mm -hmm. Here's why. Because very few CISOs actually make the decision to call something a breach or to decide if it's reportable. Always mm -hmm. at legal. It's always with the CEO, president, whatever. CISO might have a seat in having a discussion about that, but the decision is always coming from somebody else. Yep. And so the fact that they said, hey, four days, 96 hours, that's great whatever. Um, but then they gave everybody an out by saying it's material and yeah. you get to decide if it's material or not. And the definition is vague. It's material right. if a reasonable investor would think it's important to make an investment decision. Okay. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so, and the clock doesn't start until we decide it's material. Yes. Yep. So there's a lot of ambiguity there that I don't think I mean, I want to be aware of it. I want to know it and everything like that. But ultimately, I won't make that decision anyway, because I won't make the decision about materiality. Yeah. It, yeah. It'll be Good out point. of my well, hand. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And 
And I don't know if things like, I mean, obviously we hear a lot about ransomware that um, I'm guessing, Patrick, that, you know, the the whole kind of fear and, and everything around ransomware attacks, maybe that's also increasing some, you know, bit more mindshare at the executive level. But, you know, we think about a lot of these XIOT devices, like I said, that so many of them are deployed with default credentials that- really? For if you're a ransomware gang, I mean, this is an easy target. I, I have the password. I can just go in, log in, change all the passwords. I've now locked you out. Yeah. So fairly easy to launch a ransomware attack. And, and you know, is an attack like that a little bit different than like the standard breach where we have to decide if it's material? Do you think that's a little bit different? Um, I, I think there's still a question of materiality because it depends where mm-hmm. the IoT is supporting the the uh, company. So. You know, if yeah. your if your whole business is being able to see entry points at a building, and that's your whole business, you're providing security service to the entry point, and you lose yeah. all your camera, that's material. You know, mm-hmm. but if, yeah. if if you have cameras on your buildings and your business is is you're a bank, and you lose your cameras for a day. Is it material if you still have security guards there and stuff? <laughs> I don't know. I, w- I don't get to make that decision, but it seems to me that would be a lot less material. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're right. I, I think of like printers, for example, if it's a if it's a set of printers at a law firm that got access and somebody, you know, stole the stole the uh, the data, because a lot of these times they'll, yeah, they'll keep a copy it. of what's printed or scanned. Well, if that's for a law firm with you know every client's a sensitive client but let's say sensitive yep. vip clients there's there's a lot there's a lot of rich sensitive personal information in there right so yeah. that's a lot different than a printer that you have in the back of a, a gas station right where which is probably not doing too much right. uh so yeah having having the, those levels right it, it's almost like we need a a severity uh you know gauge for these types of events um so I, i'm wondering for you and you know what you're doing now and maybe some of your previous companies, do you have any interesting stories from the trenches in terms of an incident that occurred, whether XIOT related or otherwise, and, and sort of uh, a unique incident or a unique way that you had to respond or, or mitigate that threat? Um, you know, I, I, I know stories of, of, of things, but they, they, they tended to be more around availability kinds of things like, like uh, stories of, uh, of backup, uh, environments back in the day where, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, maybe out in California and, uh, the night operator was coming in every night and just throwing the at certain times of the year, he would just throw the label on it and then stick it, you know, put it aside, uh, and never really spend the time to attend and run the backups back in the day when you had to attend them, uh, because the surf was really good. And so he was getting out early <laughs> to go hit the, hit the beach. And so he would, they would go months without, you know, a month or whatever, without a good backup, just hung empty tape because there was, you know, there's no validation of what was going on there. Mm. You know, so those kind of things, uh, a lot of disaster recovery kinds of stories, uh, you know, Hey, we don't mm-hmm. need to back up because we have, we have redundant, uh, we have raid type drives or redundant drives, stuff like that. So we don't really need the backup. And then something happens and you lose. Uh, two out of a set instead of one. And now what do you do? You know, mm-hmm. um, those are always interesting. I think the social engineering ones are always fascinating that, you know, and I think that's where we're going to also see 
we get asked all the time about, oh, uh, you know, generative AI is going to change everything and, the, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And yes, it will allow hackers to execute attacks more rapidly. But where I think the real, the real uh, challenge is going to be is it's going to allow hackers to execute social engineering on people much more effectively and much quicker mm-hmm. than we do right now. Light, light years different kind of thing. And so if, if I can get to everything that Brian knows right now in, in you know, uh, one-tenth the time, then I can execute 10 more attacks than I mm-hmm. was before. So now you get a volume and you start getting into probability of if I, you know, if I, if I execute 100 attacks, 10 of them will get through and three of them will, will, uh, will have some kind of return and one of them will be a jackpot, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's where generative AI, chat GPT and stuff like that's going to be huge. It's going to allow them to execute social engineering attacks so much quicker. You know, given your military background as well, do you feel that the, you know, generative AI and the sort of internet of military things and everything from drones and, and other devices and things that soldiers are wearing that are, are essentially, again, little Linux servers that are, yeah. you know, enabled to uh, to tracking things? Do you and maybe they're already being attacked and and I just don't know about it, but are are, are are these going to be a primary target, do you think, when it comes to nation state actors or even maybe minor actors going going after these types of groups? I mean, I would think so. Um, of course, there's also a whole lot more money spent to defend those things than what we would probably spend mm-hmm. in private industry. So, sure. um, y- y- you know, the, the, we'll see. We'll see if, if anybody ends up, you know, owning up to. Does, does the DOD have the same reporting responsibility? No, they don't under SEC. So uh, do they have to report in four days with material? Well, no, because they're not in the SEC. So um, I, I don't know if we'll even know about it if that happens, because that could yeah. be set aside as a matter of national intelligence. Um, but think about even if you go back to civilian and you say, what would happen if somebody was able to attack all the body cams in a major city police department. Mm-hmm. What could you do with that? Especially with AI, because what would happen now if, if you had a disgruntled traffic stop and the, the person that was stopped is smart enough to now hack into the body cam storage facility, the, 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 the data storage and alter the stops webcam body cam footage for what happened and now all of a sudden you have a scandalous incident that never really happened but how do you prove or disprove that it did or did not without going through an extensive mm-hmm. amount of forensics to get to that point i that's think, not my I think license those are very real <laughs> that's yeah. a very real scenario i think yeah why is there a kangaroo driving the car and all these exactly. incidents exactly. And, and all the license plate just say hop? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, especially with cameras, Patrick, you're right. I mean, we talk about these things right there. They are the worst of the worst. And uh, a lot of things, are, a lot of these are actually prohibited devices. Uh, as you know, the FCC banned a lot of these devices yeah. um, manufactured in China. They're Sure. You plug them in and man, they just start going. They've, they've got NMAP built in. They start streaming everything. They've, they're listening to audio. They're, 
I mean, you know, so there, these things are pretty, some of them are pretty powerful Linux servers. They're about as powerful as a typical laptop. So social you know, media accounts, all sorts yes, of interesting exactly, things. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I mean, you could uh, do some damage on this. Well, we saw the uptick. that with AI. We saw the uptick in audio uh, faking, you know, uh, mm -hmm. very early on because it was very, very easy to slice up audio and piece it back together and get sufficient words to make it sound natural that somebody yep. is saying, oh yeah, this is, this is the CEO can go ahead and get that check and get it approved and get it out, please. Well, yep. the next yeah. step though is the video. So, you know, what happens when you somehow get man in the middle on a team's environment or something, and you jump in the middle and you deep fake that the CEO, and you're looking at the person, and you're having a conversation with the person you think, you know, what do you do with that? Yeah. Mom, why do you need my password? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, you know, Patrick, we could talk about this for uh, quite literally hours. This is, this is really interesting stuff and we love your feedback. But as we, as we wrap up here, uh, one final, uh, one final question, you know, what, what words of advice would you give to um, anybody running a security organization, CISO or otherwise, uh, in terms of, you know, trying to trying to maintain their sanity and, you know, stay ahead of the threats and trends and and, you know, changing business priorities? What, what can they do to be successful? Well, so I, I tell everybody that that the, we're in the evolution of the CISO role now where. I think we have the opportunity to kind of refocus what the CISOs are focused on. Most CISOs, by and large, came up through a technical field because it's, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a nascent sort of career path, you know, in all things considered. And so there's a tendency to want to keep focusing on, uh, I need to know technical, I need to know technical, I need to be up to speed on all the tech stuff. And, and it's good to be aware and to have a, a full view of everything so that you can work strategy and so forth. But hire those deep skills and mm -hmm. instead focus your skill building on how am I a stronger business leader? How do I work strategically with the business and how do I be a thought leader so that I can say, you know, if we do this, then there's value and benefit to the business, not just I just need this technical, I need to secure everything. You know, I, I put a mission and value statement out all the time that says, there's only two things that the security program is good for and the team. It's reducing risk. So, you know, mitigating or reducing that residual risk and helping to enhance or drive revenue. If you're not yeah. focused on both sides of that equation, then you're doing a disservice to the company as a whole. Profit center. You need to kind of be more of a profit center than a cost center, right? Exactly. And that's, that's fantastic. I mean, that's, and so, you know, and obviously word to, remind all the security vendors and all of us on the vendor side that that's that's how we need to talk to you about the value proposition that how are we going to help you do what you just said right patrick right. i mean that's exactly ultimately what it's all about it's it's fantastic what a what a what a great um discussion patrick we loved your input and all your stories and i know our listeners will love this a lot so we really, really appreciate you uh, joining us and uh, come again, Patrick. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, and uh, Patrick, any social channels or anything that you, you are active on for our users who might want to follow you or 
do you do much social? Yeah, I, I mean, from yeah, LinkedIn, of course, I'm on LinkedIn yep. and, and uh, uh, virtually everything I do speaking. I don't do as much writing anymore just because I have that writer's block that says when I try to write something down, I go, ah, everybody knows that already. Why would I write it again? And so, yep. so I, I kind of stick to uh, the speaking and podcasting, but all of that uh, connected to me on LinkedIn. So yeah, that's, that's the best place to see anything that I'm doing. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much again, Patrick. And Thank remember you. everybody, the IoT Security Podcast is brought to you by Phosphorus, the leading provider of proactive, full scope security and breach prevention for the extended internet of things. Thanks again to our guests, Patrick. And until we meet again, I'm John Vecchi. And I'm Brian Contos. See you next time on Phosphorus Radio. Thanks for listening to this episode of the IoT Security Podcast. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe so you can join us again. While you're at it, leave a review. Find out more about IoT security and the podcast at phosphorus.io. See you next time on the IoT Security Podcast.